Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, Iron Radio listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiology and sports nutrition professor of about 17 years, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. Yeah, this is Phil Stevens, strike coach. I run strike field. Sorry, my voice is kind of messed up today. Um, Powerlifter, Highland Games athlete, and just train amazing people. Nice. This is Dr. Mike T. Nelson. I'm the owner of Extreme Human Performance, a faculty member at the Kerrig Institute and instructor now for Rocky Mountain University. And I am leaving South Padre, Texas today, and I'll hopefully be home by Tuesday night. That's going to be like a climate shock for you, my man. I know. (laughs) I guess it's uh, the snow melted, I guess, so... It's a positive, I think. <laughs> <laughs> At least there won't be snow waiting for you, right? Yeah. Yeah, it could very well snow between now and then, so who knows? Okay. Um, well, if you're going to stick around for the entire episode, everyone, we're going to talk about Phil's meet, how things went with him and his his crew, the whole thing. So we'll get some follow-up on that. Um, for now, we have a little bit of news and mail. Let's get to the news. Strength and Muscle Sport News. This week, there's some information from the uh, Institute of Food Technologists, uh, their IFT wellness newsletter. I really want to turn people on to this. It's really good. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that comes out of IFT, as as Dr. Nelson knows. It's it's sort of the engineering and chemistry of food that may not interest us as much because it's it's not so much the nutrition, it's the it's the product you know, appearance and texture and all that sort of thing. But their wellness newsletter is worth your time. It's very specific. Um, So I'm just going to go down some of the highlights that I see here rather than do a deep dive. Um, Here we go. FDA releases menu labeling draft guidance for industry. Uh, The U.S. Food and Drug Administration has released a draft guidance for industry for the menu labeling regulation that's coming up. It's actually, the compliance date is May 7th, 2018. So look for things in restaurants or um, the way I was reading this, almost any establishment with a roof um, has to have some of these, uh, meet these regulations. So uh, some of it is about calorie counts. And as I understand it, even in things that you might not expect calorie counts, like self-serve kinds of uh, foods and whatnot. One thing that they're doing that I do like with this labeling guide for restaurants, again, the FDA regs, is that they are, uh, they're trying to mandate, it looks like, separating factual information, like a calorie count per serving, from an ad, right? Because we all know reading muscle magazines, fitness magazines, it's very hard to separate sometimes what's, what's an ad versus an article. Right or what's information versus an ad. So, um, uh, the draft guidance that they're rolling out is so all of these um, establishments can comply. I suppose. I mean, I don't want to live in a police state, 
right? But this could be helpful if they do it right, and I'm curious to see how they roll this out. So next, it won't be till next, what did I say, May, you might start to see some of these different bits of information, um, regulations start to appear um, when you walk into a, a restaurant. So. So, Lonnie, is that supposed to be just kind of providing more information from a pure labeling information type thing and not necessarily changing or controlling anything, correct? Yeah, I just think they're trying to almost like um, take some the concept of a nutrition facts label and take it into somewhere, yeah. you know, broader that where you can't easily look at the prepackaged item and look at a label. Right, you're just, I don't know, yeah. how, there's various methods, I guess, for providing or disclosing the information. It talks about pizza in this article. Um, like I said, distinguishing between what menus are and marketing materials are, mm. uh, how they can comply and be enforced, all that stuff. So I guess for our listeners, the most interesting thing is you might start to see calorie counts and whatnot pop up in places. Any, To my understanding, anything from a, like a, a Circle K to a, you know, Bob Evans, I don't know, um, to a Chinese buffet. Uh, but we'll have to see how this rolls out. And, of course, a lot of our listeners, I know Phil would probably do this, is use this in reverse. <laughs> look for the highest calorie count things imaginable, right? So um, so we'll see. Well, again, there's a link on, on this um, IFT wellness newsletter. Uh, it's called Draft Guidance for Industry, if you really want to dig. Nice. Um, next up, and again, I'm just going to read a couple of these. Mindful Choices tops Innova's 2018 trends list. As far as marketing goes, this is what Americans are after, and you might be able to compare this to yourselves, listeners, uh, or co-hosts. It says, um, number one, mindful choices. Basically, people in the U.S. and in um, Britain, uh, let's see, and I believe Germany, seven out of ten want to know and understand what the hell the ingredients mean, right? So it doesn't say it that way. <laughs> but what the ingredients lists contain, what they mean. So when they say mindful choices, number one, like when you eat or drink something, uh, people want to know what's in there. And um, I've heard before, and I can't cite this, but the, the FDA was trying to do this with supplements too. Like you'll sometimes on a supplement product, you'll see proprietary blend, 900 milligrams but and then they kind of list what some of what's in there but not what proportion of it you know like is is 700 of that 900 caffeine and all the rest is something else or is it a weird mix so i think people are really looking for to understand right what's on the ingredients list and that really echoes something i do in the classroom we do a protein bar like um taste test and analysis and we dig into the ingredients list and we talk about things like nitrogen spiking you know falsely elevating the the protein grams with just a single amino acid or something like that um you know different protein qualities a lot of times you'll see something like collagen or gelatin and even though they may have certain applications for certain things being complete proteins is not one of them so um anyway yeah knowing what's on those labels a couple other ones, I won't read all these to the same extent, but one is lighter enjoyment. Most people are looking for, instead of super indulgent things, so when I read this, I think like Hardee's, not Hardee's, right, in the in this sense, in, in that, you know you know what I mean, like they, they kind of really go over the top with the double juicy bacon dripping cheeseburger kind of thing, and again, I'm making that up, I don't want to get sued, I actually, I, I there's a time for Hardee's, I'll, I'll go eat there, but... 
not real often, but anyway, the point being is people are looking for more of a, the lighter or lightness in terms of sweetness, flavor, texture, um, that kind of thing, because they're trying to eat healthier and they perceive light as better. And again, I don't think that's something that a lot of our listeners automatically would, but okay. Uh, number three on this list was processing. I think people are more concerned about m minimal processing, right? They don't want foods highly, highly processed. Um, and there's a, and again, there's a couple of different things on here. There's also on this list on the top five is uh, beyond the coffee house. It says that there's clear trends with millennials and Generation Z consumers that coffee is on the upswing, but tea is trying to reinvent itself as well. So you might see a push for new fancy kinds of tea uh, coming down the pike again because some of these marketing uh, organizations like uh, Innova, it's I-N-N-O-V-A. Uh, that's what they're suggesting. Like these are the coming trends. So, uh, And then uh, maybe I'll just add one or two more. Here's a press release. FDA finds that pesticide residues in food remained low in 2015. Now you might say, well, it's 2017 wrapping up here, Lowry. But remember, they have to let this... They have to let the year happen and then study it and analyze it and whatnot. But it says the U.S. Food and Drug Administration issued a report that 98% of domestic and 90% of imported foods tested last physical year, that is, in this case, 2015, were compliant with federal pesticide residue limits. Now, some people might say, well, those limits aren't tight enough. I don't like that. And I think a lot of people know some foods are at higher Risk, In fact, some of the foods that I like to eat are higher pesticide risk, like apples or bell peppers. You know, I like colored bell peppers, uh, that kind of stuff. Um, so apparently there's not a lot of people at least breaking the government's line when it comes to pesticides. So, um, And it didn't say in there what that line really was at, did it? It just said they're within spec, so to speak. Uh, let's see. Pesticide chemical residues in violation of federal tolerances were found in less than 2% or 15 out of 835 domestic samples or 10% of imported samples. Yeah, I don't think it goes into gory details as yeah. to exactly where they draw the line. So it depends how much you trust the government, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, there's some more stuff in here about calorie counts. Some of the stuff that I think is sort of obvious – Spicy food intake may lower the amount of salt you consume. Um, well, yeah, if you're flavor it in different ways. Yeah. Uh, labeling foods as snack versus meal may lead to more eating. So, mm. yeah, people consider it a snack. Maybe they'll just eat more of it. That's fine. There is a new protein drink, and I'll stop with this one. Apres, A-P-R-E-S, launches a plant-based protein drink. Um, and I, again, I don't know how big this company is. Sometimes these companies, as we all know, are behind the scenes. They're not the retailer. They're the wholesaler, right? And I don't know. I don't, I'm not familiar with this one, but it says the beverage that's being released is a plant protein blend, including uh, coconut oil and water, pea protein, chia, cacao, hemp. Uh, it says it delivers all the essential amino acids, and it's geared toward healthy, lean physiques. So, hmm. We'll see where, how that goes. I'd like to see the profile, like how much leucine is in there and, and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, yeah, pea protein is sort of, I've seen that more and more in the last few years and hemp and so. Oh, yeah, plant uh, proteins are becoming really sort of popular again now. So Yeah, that's very true. 
I know I said I wouldn't say anything else, but here's um, <laughs> functional cold brew coffee line, New Z, a company focused on building beverage brands, has launched a ready-to-drink functional cold brew coffee line. Uh, and so some of them have green coffee extract in them. Some of them have certain amino acids in them, like L-theanine. Hmm. Some hmm. have gin ginseng in them with the claim that it increases cognitive performance. I don't think I've seen a lot of claims for cognition with hmm. ginseng, but hmm. So N-U, capital Z-E-E, -E, New Z, debuts functional cold brew coffee lines. Cold brew is pretty, getting pretty popular. So, Okay, um, that's enough news out of me. Uh, you guys, anything this week? I mean, other than the obvious news that, that was Phil's big competition there. Uh, Mike, do you have anything? Uh, no, nothing, nothing too much. Just, uh, going through a whole bunch of studies and some interesting stuff on fasting. I'm rolling out the material for the flex diet certification. And yeah, so this week I've been up to my eyeballs and learning about mushroom extracts and all sorts of different types of micronutrition. But the only thing to add on that is that there was a new study in nature, I think, that showed that many of the mushroom extracts like medicinal mushroom supplements on the market are not so good oh. so be be wary if you buy that and i followed that for a while and even some of the brands that are pretty expensive you know sometimes you can just go by price and you're like whoa that's like half price of something else makes you kind of wonder but yeah that's not always the case either so yeah i thought that was interesting yeah sort of a consumer advocacy there huh yeah, yeah, and the the one main supplier actually supplied three of the five that passed. I think there were 16 they tested, five passed, and one of the suppliers that I know gave the three out of the five that passed. Oh, well then, <laughs> so, at least you're with the right good person. Good for them, probably. yeah, good for them, and uh, kind of scary for just the market at large, I guess. So. Oh, that's, that's interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, I've got two very different questions here, very different, and I'm going to start w w with Phil with the first one. This has nothing to do with science, but it's kind of funny. This is from uh, Shannon. Um, which historical warrior motivates you the most? I just think it's interesting. So here's a list of possibles. Viking, oh. Highlander, Samurai, Spartan, Zulu, right? So these are all – this is kind of a neat question. Phil – is there are you motivated by that sort of thing oh man i don't know um <laughs> think back to years ago like I, i'm old so i mean like conan and things like that was amazing mm -hmm. so right um you know that time of that type of larger than life uh yeah i guess i mean that'd go right into the viking thing and things like that just big hairy yeah. masculine beasts right you know? yeah so, <laughs> no, that, yeah, like the standpoint and stuff like that. What you think of is more, you know, sleek and quick. And, right. Yeah, and I could see how people might have certain visions. You know, people talk about beast mode and warrior mode and stuff like that. And it, it is sort of neat to think historically. Like, well, well, what do you mean? Because, like you said, these guys, these are different flavors. You know, different yeah. flavors of of power, sort of. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. There's always been something like watching old historical films and something. There's something. Uh, very motivating and uh, I don't know, respectable about like 
the way war was done back in the age of the knights. Like it was literally, okay, I got a sword, you got a sword, let's do this. You yeah. know, personal. <laughs> it was done. It was like that's you know uh, we'd probably have a few less problems if that was still how it was. You know so. that's that's a good point. You'd be hesitant if if it was up close and personal like that. You know. Yeah, or, or like gladiator style stuff. You know, like yeah. Okay, you got a problem? Get in there. You two are going at it. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. If you're really pissed <laughs> off about no. this, let's see what what you can do. <laughs> you know. You know, I kind of no like keyboards I, involved. What's that? I said no keyboards involved. So oh, you right. can't yeah. text each other messages. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, one of the things I liked, and I don't know if it was Knights did it this way. I'm just ignorant about history, I admit. But they would sort of scrap. I think Vikings might have been like this a little. If, if there was a personal dispute, not, not large scale, they'd beat the hell out of each other. And whoever was left standing, then they, both guys would laugh at me like, I guess you were right. <laughs> and then they'd just go about their business. <laughs> You know, it's just kind of, we'll figure this out. It's like flip a coin kind of thing. And I don't know. Victor is correct. I don't know. Um, what about you, Dr. Nelson? I, you're sort of Viking ancestry, are you not? Or Yeah, I'm actually half Swedish, uh, half Swedish, half German. So supposedly on my dad's side, like we traced it back, I don't know, several years ago that, you know, we're supposedly descended from Leap Erikson, one oh. of the Vikings, I guess. And... How her last name ended up being Nelson, I guess the original last name was supposed to be Leaf. And then when everyone came to the U.S., it, they just picked Nelson for some reason. <laughs> Nobody knows why. So, <laughs> huh. it, it, What about motivation-wise? I mean, is, so is that the kind of group? I think it's probably natural yeah. to think if you've got the genes in that group, you might identify with them. I don't know. Yeah, I think so. I mean, especially in Minnesota, living in the, the winter. And I do think more about being in areas that are less tolerable, I guess, especially in a society where everything is trying to go the opposite direction, you know, just training when it's cold outside or, you know, going for walks when it's 10 below. And, and I think there is something to doing those kind of things that, you know, sort of quote back in the day were just life, <laughs> right? you know, now that I've been kind of removed from it. So I think from a preparation standpoint, it, it is helpful, you know, the more, things you can practice under, I think you're going to be better off overall, you know, assuming you don't go from one extreme to the next. Everybody wants to go, well, I don't train outside when it's cold, so I'm going to go outside when it's, you know, 10 below now. Like, well, that's just kind of stupid if you haven't done that before. But, yeah, um, yeah, probably more along those lines. You know, it's funny when you travel, um, you're mentioned like up north, like having been in in, uh, Norway and Finland, it's no surprise seeing the fjords up there that people went like when I when I taught at Winona, boy, those bluffs along the the yeah. Mississippi up there, it lo- they look very similar to me in a lot of ways. And obviously the cold, you know. And meanwhile, having been in Spain, right, then you could see why a lot of those people in that dry, sort of arid, warmer climate, they liked Southern California because it looks so similar. You know, I mean, yeah. so the people who came to the to the U.S. they kind of chose landscapes that made them feel at home. I think. You know, and so yeah, that that always amazed me when I was at Michigan Tech, which was in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. When I was doing my masters. That you know, we'd have people from you know India and China and a fair amount of countries there that would come there for engineering. I just felt so bad for those people because they've never seen snow, they've never even been cold. You know, they get off and they show up in this you know place that's like covered in snow like half of the time that they're there. That's 
just got to be a big kick to the nuts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I'm actually torn if I look at this little list here. Because I, I, Vikings are very cool. I can't say I personally identify. I'm like 5'9", you know. So for me, it'd probably be more like the Highlander thing as far as my background being Scottish and Irish and that sort of thing. But um, And honestly, sometimes I wonder, when I hear about some of the certain polymorphisms that can happen, some of the genetic mutations about, um, you know, uh, like polycythemia, having too many red cells, I, and, and they have a lot of, like a lineage back into people of Scottish Irish sort of Highlander ancestry. I wonder, was that a natural selection because people who could clot and not bleed out <laughs> up on yeah. the Highlands fighting, you know, actually survived to pass on their genes? You know, it's, I'm just just speculation, but it's kind of fun to think about that stuff. But I also very much value a samurai. I mean, having practiced kendo. Right, I like the way that those guys sort of, to Phil's point, maybe more refined or quick, but it's the way that they they use discipline to develop their spirit. You know, the whole idea, the reason the Japanese, one of the reasons I think that they revere the sword like they do, is because it's a tool. Right, it's not just to beat the hell out of someone. It's it's quite the opposite. It's a tool to use discipline and repetition to, you know, uh, again develop your character, and so I, I like that a lot. So it's a little bit different. So, yeah. um, I took a few too many materials classes. So those little programs that come on about how they make all the different types of swords, from you know the the Vikings to you know the different kendo type implements and the samurai, and I just find all that just fascinating about how much a long process it was and how much they, you know, long time ago got it down to a very very intricate science that still holds up today. Right, yeah, the number of times they fold the steel, right? There's got to be that yeah, balance yeah. between flexibility and strength. If it's too, too strong, it might hold the sharpest edge, brittle. but it could be brittle, yep. right? Yep. yep. Yeah, and, and the shape of it, like it's gently, gently curved, so by the time the tip of it contacts you, you've got a little bit more angular acceleration. Very clever. Yeah. Very clever. Anyway, yeah. I won't go on. Um, <laughs> <laughs> here's the last one, and... Um, Phil, we can ask you, I, it, the question isn't clear whether it's food or supplements, but it's pretty simple. This is from Jim. Do you guys take antioxidants for recovery? So, and again, supplements, foods, do, do you turn an eye toward any of that sort of phytochemicals, vitamins, supplements, anything? Um, do you think antioxidants might interfere with recovery? I mean, this, this is a very small question that opens up a big box well uh, i don't i mean no i don't purposely take a bunch I, I mean i try and drink a lot of orange juice and lemonade and things like that and, mm -hmm. uh, yeah no i can think of one I've, I've taken vitamin c in the past um but i i don't now i mean i try and get in food i don't i don't purposely take any antioxidants right do you try to eat lots of fruits and vegetables with that in mind is that fair no no, <laughs> I just try to. Eat <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, I had read once that Dorian Yates was a big proponent of a fairly high dose vitamin C. I think you do have to be careful with vitamin C. It, 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 you overdo it, and not only do you kind of waste it because your tissues are saturated, probably around two hundred, two hundred fifty milligrams, at least tissues, but. Uh, it could have pro-oxidant effects if you overdo it. But um, 
Mike, I know you've probably read a few things about how antioxidants, um, whether it's antioxidants, vitamins, minerals, phytochemicals, whatever, you know, obviously they're going to interact with your natural endogenous antioxidants like glutathione peroxidase or SOD, right? Uh, natural upreg of the cellular antioxidants happens with training anyway. Um, but what are your thoughts on this? Can you actually blunt training adaptations with antioxidants? Are, are you ever sore enough or beat up enough that you would take them? How do you look at it? Yeah, <clears throat> I guess I would say in the past, I've played around a lot with it, probably for quite a while. Yeah, I mean, some of the early data, like you mentioned on vitamin C, was done on animal models. It was pretty convincing. Uh, there is some human data now that it's is rather convincing, especially for hypertrophy. I think it goes back to what is your bigger paradigm? What are you trying to do? And I got this from uh, Cal Dietz, University of Minnesota. Is, are you trying to <clears throat> prioritize the adaptation from exercise or are you trying to prioritize performance? So if you're trying to prioritize performance like an in-season athlete, maybe those types of things may help with recovery. So if you've got, you know, you're traveling and you've got a game every couple of days, yeah, you got to be able to perform again at the next one. Maybe that helps with recovery. Yeah, if it's off season and you're <clears throat> have a fair amount of time, maybe you don't want anything to kind of screw with that process. You just kind of want to take a little bit of a, a dip in recovery and then be okay with it. Um, I don't use much vitamin C anymore. I guess I view it now as, you know, how much micronutrition and variety of micronutrition can I cram in? There's not really any data that I've seen on, as much as I hate the word natural sources, I'm doing my little air quotes here, um, but, you know, citrus, you know, vegetables, things like that. Uh, about eh, maybe four years ago, I started making like a, a veggie shake. I just cram a bunch of veggies into a, a blender, blend that up and berries and whatever I can find. And I found that my recovery was a lot better and my joint pain and just kind of the niggly issues went away within just like a couple weeks um so i think there is some benefit to that from a health standpoint which is going to help you overall but i don't really take anything like uber specific the only thing that i've taken recently for that is before i go anywhere like super sunny i will take some astaxanthine which is like the red carotenoid that's in uh, crab and stuff like that so much data that it helps with sun protection maybe um, but I still use sunblock and things of that nature. But I find that if I'm down here for like two weeks, even using sunblock a lot, I'm pretty light complexion. So I'll get pretty red. And since I've been taking that ahead of time for about four weeks, I don't really get that red anymore. So I don't know. Again, that's purely anecdotal on that part. Right. Yeah. I mean, I suppose when I'm really beat up, I do have a bottle of bottles of C and E around. And I will take like a low dose C and E um, just with the kind of idea that if I'm really rocked, I feel like it, it hastens my the removal of my DOMS, right? The delayed onset kind of soreness. Um, I am interested by certain – I mean, we got to think about it. There's vitamins like C and E, probably the big boys there. Uh, minerals like selenium still interest me in the way that yeah, they work. Magnesium. Yep, yep. Um, selenium has a lot of good stuff about uh, all manner of um, particular health treatment kinds of things. So I'm interested with that. you you got to be careful with taking too much of a mineral like selenium, though. Um, 
usually unless you do it in a supplement, it's not a problem with foods. Unless you get get, get into a bunch of Brazil nuts, you can actually eat so <laughs> many Brazil nuts that you get selenosis, which is bizarre. But um, and then there are the herbal approach to antioxidants too. Anything from pine bark to curcumin. You know what I mean? There's a lot of that kind of stuff going on too. So um, some of the tart cherry I mentioned last week. So. I think it may have some role. I I would reserve it to the times that I'm very beat up because, yeah, I remain a little concerned about the idea that you could actually blunt gains with a Z, uh, you know, adaptations if you're constantly popping too many antioxidants. Some of that free radical stress and inflammation and things that happen are triggers for growth or at least part of the process. And so uh, I wouldn't want to blunt it entirely. So if you do the, that, I, w I would say maybe withhold it for the times where you probably overdo it and you're just rocked. At least that's that's been my formulation to do this, you know. And again, you've got you've got your choices. Do you want to do it vitamins, certain minerals, um like, you know, zinc, selenium kind of thing from the mineral side or um something herbal. So yeah. And I do take a multivitamin that's relatively high dose and split out over that, so any extra I get is in that but not super high in C or E or anything. Sort of to Phil's philosophy, you do have to be careful getting too excited. I was doing sublingual B12 for a while. Now, that's not for antioxidant purposes, but uh, Andrew Weil, the, the physician, he's a real medical doctor, physician, but also very much into natural medicine and whatnot. He was tweeting all over just a couple of weeks ago that long-term high-dose B6 and B12, not like an amount in a multi, but uh, like kind of what I was doing for about a year and a half, maybe linked to lung cancer in some people. And I'm like, oh. because of the, the whole like single carbon carrier, the, one of the things that they do mm -hmm. in the metabolism, I'm not going to bore listeners, but, um, and how it could actually worsen that. And of course, people will do B12. My physician pushes B12. He even, he even gives out like injectable B12 and stuff, you know, prescribes it to some of his patients and stuff like that because he's very into that for energy. But I've never seen anything really convincing that mm -hmm. B12 is going to do that. Anyway, I guess my point is, whether it's overdoing antioxidants to the point of pro-oxidation or something else. Yeah, I don't know. I tend to be a little conservative and not not pop pills just because. Um, so. Yeah, and if people take any single B vitamin, I would recommend they take a pretty high B complex at the same time because, as you know, they can start depleting each other out and you start taking one that's super high for you know kind of no apparent reason. Right, yeah, they tend to work together, and in in the enrichment laws, there's you're actually not that likely to be, you know, thiamine yeah. or riboflavin deficient or niacin. You know, end up with like weird these weird diseases like pellagra and beriberi and stuff. It just doesn't happen that much. But yeah, because it kind of begs the question: is replacing a deficiency is one thing, but at least in the U.S. with the enrichment laws, most people aren't clinically deficient in a lot of things, including B vitamins, but. Yeah, it doesn't make you wonder, could I get a little extra boost? Okay, uh, let's go to break. When we come back, we're going to uh, check in with Phil about his meat. I saw some videos, looks like some cool stuff, and we'll be back in a bit. Hey listeners, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. If you've ever had anyone critique you 
uh, on your protein intake as part of your weightlifting lifestyle. Oh, you poor meathead. All that extra protein is going to rot your kidneys or weaken your bones or dehydrate you or give you gout or who knows what. Uh, there is a book available. You could simply Google CRC Press and Lowry. And what I've done is reach out to experts all over the world and create a book, a single compendium that you can hold up and say, this is why I consume extra protein. This can be very valuable when you're um, being quote unquote educated uh, by various professionals on the topic. Uh, there's enormous amount of literature in this book on the safety uh, the effectiveness, how protein works in cells, the history of protein and weight trainers, uh, much more. So again, please check out CRC Press and Protein and Lowry. You can just Google that. And uh, I do, full disclosure, I do make a small single digit royalty on the book, but that's not why I did it. I did it so we can all have something, uh, our particular population, uh, to both defend what we do and to inform our nutrition and our eating. Thanks. Can't stop feeling. Some of us don't understand how lucky we are to be living in this. Hi, listeners. This is Rob Fortress Fortney. I'm here to remind you that as the holiday season approaches and your thoughts turn to giving, we like you to keep Iron Rated in your thoughts. Over the past several years, there have been hundreds of listener comments hoping that Iron Radio stays on the air for years to come. Iron Radio is here for you. But as with any public radio-type format, the show is listener-supported. That's where you come in. For just $4 a month, you become a supporting member, keeping your weekly dose of education, experts, and gym talk flowing. Just go to www.ironradio.org and click on the $4 monthly subscribe button near the bottom of the page. Or... Click the donate button at the right of the page for a one-time donation. You are the Iron Brotherhood and Sisterhood. Of course, not everyone can afford to be a supporting member or a significant one-time donor. But for those of you willing to pitch in $4 per month or $50 just once, we're about to sweeten the deal. Become a supporting member or major donor between now and January, and a limited number of you will receive a gift worth over $20. And we will never forget our existing supporters. Simply email me via ironradio.org, and I'll send you a free seminar from Dr. Lowry on how to significantly and realistically boost your testosterone levels. Help your iron brothers and sisters who cannot pitch in but deserve better internet programming in our sports. And happy holidays. Iron Radio is, of course, primarily a podcast. But over the years, there have been technical glitches calling for backup streaming and listeners who wanted the convenience of other sources of audio content. Toward this end, Iron Radio is now simulcast and backed up on YouTube. If needed, please search Lawnman07 or Iron Radio from within YouTube. There's not much video, but if you like to listen through YouTube on a Roku or other living room device, there you go. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once per week email, no more, 
That's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. All right, everyone, we're back. It's Phil and Mike and Lonnie, and we're going to talk about Phil's meat. So, Phil, you just had a pretty high-level meat, and we had mentioned in weeks past there were some novice mic- lifters mixed with the, the heavy-duty guys. Um, what were the highlights, or what, what do you remember most? Oh, man. Um, that was a good meat. It, it, the, the, the thing about Record Breakers, I think the resounding theme was it's a really big meat, but uh, it had a, lo- a local meat feel to it, kind of how it was ran, which is a good thing. I mean, that helped some of my lifters that are that are newer. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it was neat having, like, the top lifters in the world there, many of them, not all of them, and then uh, – you know, a flight of just regular people before it. And then Stan, Efforting, and uh, Ed Cohn being judges. Oh, so, nice. Um, yeah, I mean, that was, yeah, it was just, it was a lot of fun. Um, Jesse puts on a good environment there. And everybody is uh, very uh, gracious to help for the most part. Things like that. Jesse does a good job of, oh, you guys need anything, this and that. So, mm-hmm. no, it was a good day. I mean, we, we put in and put on a good show. I think turned some heads. Uh, like where are these people from Kansas from? But uh, <laughs> right, yeah. Oh, and then I one thing that was kind of it was neat but kind of depressing at the same time was like I had lots of people coming up to me as like, man, these other guys are cool, but I'm watching you because I'm like over forty two and I like watching what old guys can do. I was like, oh, so I'm an old guy now. <laughs> like you're the best. Of the old. Uh, go with it. So yeah, it, yeah, you know, own it, just own it. Yeah, yeah. So was there money at stake for the, the for the big boys? Well, anybody that broke a world record automatically got $1,000. Okay. Okay. Um, for <clears throat> largest bench, largest squat, largest deadlift, um, yeah, you get 500 automatically. Um, one of my guys took home the biggest bench. He should have had biggest squat, but he freaking didn't get it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but it was close. Um and he was close to some biggest deadlift, but that freaking tiny guy deadlifted nine twenty eight. So, <laughs> whoa! What was the tiny guy weighing, or who was it? It was uh, who was it? Colin. Uh, he pulled that nine twenty eight in the two twenty class. Whoa, two twenty. Yeah. Oh. So, uh, well, Ed Cohn's record was just broke not too long ago. He broke that record. Yeah. So, um, well, and then there were several girls pulling over five hundred at one twenty three. So that was 500 at 123. Yeah. Yeah. Strong. (laughs) Broken. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, it was, it was all in all. Yeah. It was, it was really, it was a lot of fun. Um, Big Brian, my uh, super heavyweight kind of turned some heads and uh, went down there with his running shoes on that weren't tied and went for an eight, eight, 95 squat. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I think he benched 555 and deadlifted 865. So, in wow. uh, his second meet ever. So, that was good. Becky um, is one of my lifters. She went in when we squatted 435, benched 160, deadlifted 407. Um, mm. Nice. As a mother of five. So now, she's, awesome. she's the one I saw the video online. That was a huge PR for her, right? The 435. Is that right? It was a 30-pound PR. Yeah. So, yeah. Sweet. I mean, we hit 4 in the last meet, so we hit 435. 
I think 405s her opener now. Um, so it's, she's coming up. She got her elite total. Um, she's not far from international elite. So we need to get her bench in line with her, her deadlift. And, um, and then, geez, what else? Jen hit her first 300 squat, went crazy and smacked me. I think hurt me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, Delicate. You know, I, I messed up the squat. That was my fault. Basically, I was set up. I, I hit 6.05 for my opener. It was easy. I got on my toes a little bit and just told the guys, hey, don't take it. I got it. I knew I was out of groove a little bit. So I went for 6.55 or second and blew it up. It was as easy as it should have been. So I had no doubts the 7.05 was there. I went for that. And in all the excitement, I got set up, got my wraps on, got my belt on. Had some guy smack the hell out of me. Went up, got on the bar, picked it up, and then they're yelling at me, your singlet's down, your singlet's down. I forgot to put the straps up on my singlet. Oh. Back in the rack. I had to back out, you know, with my wraps on. Can't feel my legs. Pull my singlet up and then try and go back under it. And just, I was I was out of it. You know, that was, Shit. I messed up. And yeah. Got out of the mindset and uh, still about had it, but it was a, yeah, it just wasn't there. So. And then, so that forced me to go for a huge bench. I haven't benched 405 in quite a while since I messed up my shoulder. I was like, well, might as well try it. I botched my squat. And didn't get it. I think I was good for like 380. Uh, and then warming up for deadlifts, it felt like I had a rib out of place. It was really hurting on like 500 and 550. Uh, went over and talked to Kelly Starrett, and uh, he get, he adjusted my back a little bit. Ted said my T-spine was out of place. Went and... Uh, that helped for my last warm-up. Uh, so I pulled 6.55, and that was easy. Played it conservative because of that and went like 6.85. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then pulled 7.05, and right about the knee, that rib popped, and it hurt like a son of a bitch. Mm. But, uh, I thought it was much slower than it was because of that, but you watch the video, it was really easy. Uh, I made mm. a lift. Oh, good. But, uh, yeah, I made the lift. It just feels like somebody like punched me there, so it's nothing bad. It'll be, I'll be healed up from that. But I got red lighted on my first deadlift by Ed and Stan. Uh, they told me I dropped the bar, so from there on out, I really held the bar, like over exaggerated how long I held it on the ground. <laughs> Ed, being the too nice of a man he is, he's like after the meet apologizing to me. I was like, dude, it's not your fault. It was me that did it. No, you're just doing your job as a judge. He's like, I'm sorry, I had to red light you. <laughs> so well he's uh, being professional well, he still he still did his job right it's not like he's he gave you you know white lights or something so yeah so um no i mean i was impressed it, i mean it has me want to do some more um i think there were a lot of people that seemed uh i had a lot of pts coming up to me like how the hell are you still doing this and let me see your okay. leg yeah, <laughs> like a but, uh, specimen. Like, oh my god, let's yeah, look at yeah. that. <laughs> Throw some peanuts yeah. at that guy there. Yeah. <laughs> that's terrible. <laughs> uh, well, you know, that's kind of what that that. Like I said, I would say own it, brother. You know, like yeah, this is me now, and I'm gonna try to create some kind of new records or you know set some kind of gold standard for what the uh, the older dudes with a bunch of you know metal in their hips can do. Uh, exactly. I had no like. <laughs> I was under no uh, pretense that I was going to go in there and, like, kill everybody. It was like, that's not happening. Yeah. (laughs) So I was going to go in there and do, uh, hopefully, what no one's ever done under my set of circumstances. And I think I did that. So, 
Uh, well, that's cool. So you walked away with what you wanted, pretty much. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I wish I would have done is put my straps on my single so I could have hit that 705. But <laughs> yeah, that's my own fault, and hiccups happen. Basically, what I did was I, I did that meet back in March weighing 40-some pounds lighter. I didn't get myself a new singlet, so that one was, like, very uncomfortable. Oh. So I'd do my lift, and I'd be like, get these freaking straps off me. Um, and I forgot to put them up, you know. Mm-hmm. So. Maybe that's the curse of, uh, you know, like, you can work with your crew and make sure everything's in place, but you're sort of being the, the coach. Like, yeah. somebody's got to help the coach. You know, hey, coach, yeah. you forgot your straps, you know. <laughs> yeah. Kind of thing. So, Mm. Yeah, but uh, no, it was a great meet. I mean, got to see a lot of people. I mean, there was a lot of who's who's there. Um, Who are some of the big names that were there that listeners may recognize? Oh, well, Dan Green was walking around. His whole crew there was, uh, he had several lifters lifting, mainly women, I think. Um, well, of course, Ed and Stan, and then Mark was there, and Jesse. Um, uh, Matt Winning was lifting. He hurt himself on squat. Oh, um, that was his last meet, I think. Correct, Matt. Yeah, he, he said he's not going to do any more. Yeah, um, I mean, he still hit like an eight hundred squat, but then oh, just, so. Uh, um, um, and the, the, there were a lot of women, like Stephanie Cohen, Gina. Mm-hmm. Like I said, it was kind of like a who's who of women with all these with the several girls pulling uh, five hundred in light body weight classes. So. There were more women's world records broken than there than there were anything else. But, what was um, Phil? What was the overall ratio? I mean, was it like half women or no? So what it was is day one was heavyweight men, meaning anybody over two twenty. Um, day two was one flight of lightweight men, so under two twenty, and then two flights of women. So okay. Hmm. Well, that's so total flights one third women, I guess six flights. And uh, I think it was, and two of those were women. So yeah, clearly a trend, though, right? Compared to even five years ago, the number of women. Oh, yeah. And I would to see the freaking stream numbers because I'm guessing. My guess was the stream was going to be more for the women. There'd probably be more watching. I think they draw more people to watch the sport. Um, they have followers like crazy, you know. It's rare to see a dude that has like 20 million followers. And they have it. You know, they have the, this. Uh, so it, it was impressive. So. Yeah, I think part of that's the empowerment sort of thing. You know, like when you're talking about uh, you, you get a woman who can open with 405. Fortress and I used to talk about that all the time. I mean, even in bigger um, like gyms in, in cities and whatnot, not necessarily a power gym, but you can count on one hand the number of men who can legitimately squat 405, you know, in most gyms. Yeah, yeah. And then, so it's empowering to see, to see a woman do that. You're like, wow. Okay. You know? So I don't know. This is kind of cool. Yep. Uh, how many people did you take all together? Did you take a big group? Um, we had me, me, Josh, Ben, Brian, Jen, uh, Becky were the lifters. So, and then I had a couple people running a booth, selling stuff. Um, and like Steve, the Becky's husband was there, things like that. So yeah, it was, we had a good crew. 
we had a few get injured and back out. We had one guy like lost his roof on his house and his car. So he's like, oh. I don't have them. So <laughs> we had some of those things come up. Um, but uh, yeah, we had a good crew up there. So you so all hopefully just, have a big next year. You all piled into a plane, or, or did you you didn't drive it, did you? Oh no, we flew out. Yeah. So I flew out Thursday. Um, flew out Thursday. Weighed in Friday. I was like two pounds light, which is good, and uh, went and ate lots of food. And uh, I just hung out the whole day Friday, and then lifted Saturday, and then the ladies lift Sunday. So Sweet. got to catch up with Mark and uh, Jim over there. We did a I did a podcast with them on Sunday. Uh, for their power cast. Right, that's fun. At the meet, so that'll be fun when that comes out. Um, and you yeah. did live there at the meet, I assume, then? Yeah, we were just kind of hiding behind the booths. So <laughs> we were trying to find some place that wasn't too freaking loud. Um, and there weren't many. So he, he set it up behind the booths, and we did our best. Um, no, it was neat. We got to, I got to catch up with a lot of people that I don't see often, but I deal with all the time. So Was there a yeah. real... Um, expo kind of presence there then or big i mean there was what there was like seven or eight booths but uh okay mm-hmm. they bring food trucks in and and everything like that so um big bottles of whiskey back in the late warm up room that was kind of neat <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um did they disappear over time or were they okay no they were there they, nobody stole them they, they got drank something <laughs> oh right so um, what about crowd? Is it because you said it had the local meat feel? Was it pretty much just friends and family, or did the big lifters draw in a fair number no, of spectators? You had a good sized crowd. He had a bunch of chairs set up, so I mean there was probably I, I would hate to guess, but three four hundred people. I mean, oh okay, that's yeah, good. Yeah, I mean it was good, and it's kind of in and out, you know, because you know how meat runs. So I mean, if they want to watch this flight, you get an influx of people during this flight, um, mm-hmm. type of thing. Right. But we had a, a nice long break being there three flights. You know, I'd get a couple hours rest between each lift. So, right. and I just do, and I'd vanish. So, go rest. Yeah, but, uh, that's kind of your way, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. And that's like the whole day before everybody's like, what are we going to do after we weigh in? I was like, I'm going to go back to the hotel room and not leave. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> nothing. I just, well, I just traveled. I don't sleep well when I'm in a hotel room, so basically I just rest as much as I can, and I know that's going to be good enough. So, uh, No, I know how that feels. Yeah, it's hard for me. I don't know. Mike, you travel all the time, but I can't sleep in yeah. hotel rooms either for shit. Never could. Uh, so last question, because uh, we're just winding down here. But So what's next? Do you take a long period off? I mean, not just you, but you maybe specifically, but your gym, uh, whatever. It sounds like you guys did some good stuff. Uh, what's next? We got another big meet in three weeks. So, oh, you do? Okay. <laughs> yeah, we got more people that are lifting, and I think I got eight or nine lifters up in Kansas City here in three weeks. Um, a bunch of the people that didn't make this trip. So, um, yeah, we're never resting, man. We're always on the go. I don't know when what I'm going to do next. I'll do something. I'm I'm not in the position to say right now. Uh, I want to take some time and work on getting stronger. I don't get stronger over like a one training cycle, like newer people do now right um what's your typical training cycle length now are you looking like nine months a year like that kind of long or i'll still run in like 12 week blocks but i mean i won't be ready to compete you know for probably at least maybe two meets a year maybe Mm -hmm. i kind of i kind of like the one fun meet type of thing where i just kind of go in and eh, and then go for one big one 
uh, that that worked this time. So do a little tester me, go in, see what I can do, and then then really aim everything towards one big one. So who knows? Maybe I'll just shoot for the same meat next year as my big one. So would that be your advice uh, for um, the other older guys that might have a fake body part, just to try to limit that? <laughs> <laughs> Implants. I, it all depends on how you doing it, you know. I mean, if you're just starting out, like let's say I had somebody that like was kind of active but never really lifted and got a hip replacement. Now they want to start lifting. I think we could do meets more often because you're going to make progress faster. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's faster to go from shit to suck than it is from. You know, oh right, yeah. Good, better, but nothing so about it, like, nothing about the repair itself though. You think would would make someone have to reduce the number of times they compete no i don't think the competition is going to wear on at all i yeah. mean you know the training would be a little different but just because they have a hip replacement but i mean other than that they're still gonna the the, the muscular system is gonna just you know it's easier to go from 315 squat to a 405 than it is from a 650 to a 750 oh for sure <laughs> yeah so yeah. that type of thing yeah so it's not so. the hardware that's really the limitation so much just no. yeah just, I'm, I'm old and I squat almost 700, so it takes me a little while to get to 750. <laughs> right, yeah. right. So, yeah, uh, okay. Yeah. Oh, well, good stuff. All right. Yeah, awesome yeah. stuff. Oh, well, there's the news, a little bit of um, questions, both sciencey and silly, and um, yeah, some fun meat talk. We need some of that, right? So, yeah, you leave Dr. Nelson and I at the at the helm for too long, it's going to yeah, be... you get last week. Yeah, you get nerd, <laughs> nerd central, so... Okay. Yeah, no, and like I said, I got a couple guests lined up. We're going to have one in a second and from the meet, from being out at the meet. So uh, I'll, I'll try and line up some more. So Yeah, stories like better fun. Yep. Yeah. So All right. Well, we'll see everybody next time. See you later. See you. Hey, listeners. Have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store, one for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry, and they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store, uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention, Uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each Hall of Iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good, uh, knee sleeves, wraps of some kind, things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, The stuff you, you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org and um, let us know what you think on the forums and certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, 
the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding. Um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org uh, store. Uh, we also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.